Hey, Tad Pals, we're back. International break. International breaks are hard. I mean, I, I love me some international games, but you, you're kind of itching to get back to the Premier League. And since we have that abbreviated weekend of Premier League action before, it's, you know, Man City hasn't played in three I'm weeks. in withdrawal. Yeah, I know. I'm in a bit of withdrawal, although there were fantastic games, some incredible international games and some crazy lopsided results. Argentina, when I grew up loving me some Argentina, I was like, my my um, AOL instant messenger name, if we can go all the way back to the dial-up. Um, Rest in peace. It was, yeah. I mean, it was um, Ortega 10. Yeah, we spoke about that last week. Oh, I so loved good. Juan Sebastian Verón. Yeah. I even did the the, the knee tape. Knee. I did the socks down a little bit and that knee tape around my knee. Yeah. Remember when, like... Michael Jordan was huge when we were little, and we all played basketball too. And everyone wore a knee brace because Michael Jordan did. That was yeah, the, that's just Verone's knee tape is like the the Michael Jordan knee brace version version. And then Raquel also, May. I was just gonna say oh. Raquel May. Those that Villarreal team that he played on, so good. Yeah. So uh, I hate seeing Argentina get get whooped. They got their their butts kicked in. Isco looked amazing. Isco, um, I actually just tweeted Isco. Um, I mean, it kind of sounds like it's it's a corporation name, like the Dribbling Corporation. I mean, that guy has a, a kind of unusual dribbling technique, too. It, it looks, it doesn't look as, like, smooth and, like, rehearsed. And it's not like the stepovers of, like, the young Cristiano Ronaldo. And now, like, Mares has a little bit of, of that. It, it's it's like de- those setups where he knows yeah. what he's going to do before he does it. He just sort of the deception's to... subtle. Yeah, and it's also a bit clumsy at times. You know, it's like he. The, the, now this is not Zidane at all, but Zidane had this incredible dribbling style of like kind of like cupping the ball and bringing it with him. Mm. And I remember talking to um, Yuri Jorkev one time, and he said they had a phrase for it for Zidane when they played with him that he he had. Um, uh, hands of the feet like it's it's kind of like he like brought it with him everywhere this guy kind of has that a little bit it's just chops it's like drags it's right foot it's left foot i mean messi had you know i mean that's kind of messi's dribbling style too i mean i when i was younger i always tried to do the moves you know i got like all in the elastico like the snake fake and the step overs and the croif i mean you don't really need any moves if you have balance low center of gravity tight control like isco has i mean he, he's definitely in the category of best dribblers out there I think. Yeah, I love that they're really relying. The Spain team is really focusing their attack on him. Yeah, too. it's yeah, all yeah. funneling through him. Well, they have to. I mean, that generation that we've enjoyed for so long, uh, Xavi and Yesta, and you know, I mean, that it's gonna be sad when those guys are done. Uh, we got we got one. We've more got a good run. We've Iniesta. got a good run with them. Yeah. One more summer of Iniesta. I remember when Iniesta was coming off the bench for Barcelona. I remember when no one knew who Iniesta was and being like, who he would come on in like the 60th minute every other game. And just tear it up and light it up. And then, of course, just became Iniesta. And now it's just one name. Um, so let me get to... Uh, that was a long intro. I, that's, I mean, that's, what okay. pod, that's what podcasts are that's, for. That's who we are. We just want to get that out. That was like a, a topic within an open. And so let's get to reviews first. Um, guys, keep with the reviews. Thank you so much sending them. They, uh, they bump us up on those podcast lists so more people can listen and enjoy. This one comes from um, Tyler uh, Keenan. He said, so happy you're back. I don't think I realized how much I love this podcast until it was gone. So glad it's back. His player, he said, if I could play, and this is a, an unusual one, I like but I like selection. it. Um, if I could play with anyone, it would be Leighton Baines. I'd love to play anywhere on the field with him. He's such an amazing attacking fullback, and he's a wonderful steward for Everton. Um you know, like, the fullback is kind of the attacking presence, especially in a pep side. I mean, if you look at the way he's playing, and this is nothing new. I mean, go, go back to Cafu and, I mean, if Roberto you're Carlos. Roberto Carlos, and then, you know, obviously our sort of, our more late generation of Danny Alves, I mean, he he, he kind of is the modern Cafu, and, um, and Baines has, although he hasn't had it recently, has that kind of, Bomb up the flank, amazing service off his left foot, good early balls into the box. He also is a guy it's, he's easy to root for, too. Remember, there was the he was going to go to Manchester United. Yeah. There were all those links. He didn't make a big deal about it. He didn't, you know, put in a transfer request or sit out of training or do any of that. He just seems like a good dude. He's so, also really good from the penalty spot. I think he's got the best conversion rate yeah. in the league. 
So funny when defenders, I remember Dennis Irwin for Manchester United was excellent from the penalty spot. So funny when defenders are just like... Well, it kind of makes sense if you're if you're an outside back, right? Because so much of, of your passing is sort of that that bending ball up the, up the line. Yeah. Up to the forward or like sending someone through. Yeah. It's like the same type of practice sort of like golf swing kick. Sure. And like a, a great penalty kick taker is, um, I mean... If you tried to distill it down to one thing, they're decisive and and they they can repeat that technique over and over. So in a way, a defender where they're not overcomplicating it and don't have you know a bunch of clubs in their bag, so yeah, to speak. Right. And no disrespect to defenders, but it's not like a you know number ten that wants like a panenka or wants to like hit the corners or you know is thinking through a lot of different things as as it comes up. Although Cantona, I mean he's he was a guy who's sick of penalties too, and he had every club you could ever have in a bag um so thanks for that review yeah don't forget put the review in and then um add add, add in your review a player you'd love to play with uh either current former uh just chuck it in the review and we'll pick out our favorite all right so three topics for today we're going to talk um world cup bid the united 2026 bid the tri bid uh canada the u.s and mexico uh the second topic is going to be england uh, they are going to a World Cup. They had um, a good performance against Italy. And uh, maybe we'll drop VAR in there because that was uh, yeah, part of the discussion as well. we, we got to touch on yeah. um And we'll also talk about, I think it's a matter of days. Southgate said he's going to name the team that's going to uh, be on the plane to Russia. So we'll probably find that out by the next podcast. But first, let's get into the U.S. Exciting, um, not times for, the, for U.S. soccer, but exciting if you're going to find a silver lining in the fact that there is no World Cup on the horizon, right? They're, they're, they're not going to Russia. The next big thing for them is, is what? Coming up in, in uh, 2019, is that uh, Copa... Uh, what, what's the next tournament for them? Is that Copa America? Uh, I'll double-check. It seems like the Gold Cup is every... I don't, I don't think Gold Cup. can't remember. We'll, we'll get that to you in a second. But, the, I mean, in essence, they don't have a game that matters for a while now. And so we saw a really, really young team, and I love that. You know, that, that's the benefit. It takes a lot of courage to put out a young team when you need short-term results. And, and few in the world do that, whether at the club level or international level. I think Ajax is a team that, um, you know, still maintains that philosophy. I remember Ajax last season in the Europa League final playing uh, Manchester United and throwing out a team that was like the average age was like 23 or 24. Um, that, that, that's this U.S. team. Average age of the starting 11 that Dave Sarah can put out, 23 years, 360 days. A lot of youngsters and, and, and uh, PM, a lot of great, exciting youngsters. Now, are they, are they ready and would they be playing in a World Cup this summer if we were going? Probably not, but that's the excitement. Now, now we have what you rarely have in the inter- international game. You can plan for the long term and you can look ahead. And, I, and let me just go through a few names. Um, you know, Shaq Moore, we didn't get to see, um, you know, there, there are a few guys we were hoping to see, and, and I don't know why we only made two subs, but we'll get to that in a second. But, um, you know, Eric Palmer Brown, um, Marky Delgado, we got to see. I mean, Toronto's done an incredible job developing him. Love him. Uh, Kukuta Mane, we've known for a while. We've seen him in, uh, in Vancouver was the first time I really got a glimpse at him and, and saw what he's capable of and, and a recent U.S. citizen. Weston uh, McKenney, we didn't get to see because of injury. That bummed me out. Um, we got to see Sai F. I remember them on the broadcast saying it's it's Sounds safe, like, or like, like Chef. Chef. Yeah. Chef. yeah, we'll need, we need to. I mean, reach out to the research yeah. team about that. We're one. gonna have to work on that one. Uh, Will Trap, we know well, and he had a great game. Tim Weah. Now that's an exciting one. Obviously, his dad being a former uh, Ballon d'Or, former FIFA Player of the Year, and when I was young. Uh, Serie A was on TV for me every now and then. I don't know if you would catch that, but I'd catch Serie A games. I don't know how or when. They yep. just kind of randomly come on. It would always, always be either Juve or AC Milan. And I remember watching that, that goal that George Weah scored, his dad, taking it the entire length of the field. I mean, guy was a freak of nature. I remember he was the first one with the, with the colored boots. With the red boots. Yeah, yeah he had yeah. the red Diodorus. Oh, I remember so I got good. to see him play in half. No, it was after the 1996 MLS All-Star game. It was Brazil 1994 World Cup team against the FIFA Stars. Oh, George yeah. Way, it was yeah, amazing. Yeah. George yeah. Way was I in I remember there. that. Stadium was packed at, oh, uh, at Giant so Stadium. I remember awesome. that. 
Uh, and by the way, to circle back, next tournament for the U.S. national team, both the Gold Cup and the Copa America are in 2019. Yeah, okay. I think it's unclear whether we're going to go with the Copa. Yeah. I don't know yeah, yeah. if that's certain yet. Mm-hmm. So... You know, that, there's there, there are tournaments coming up to blood some of these guys and, and, and some of the greener players put them in real game scenarios without without a World Cup on the horizon. I mean, that ends up being a tough one. I remember being a part of the Confederations Cup squad when we played 2003 in France and I was supposed to be on the Gold Cup, Gold Cup squad. We were going straight from that to the Gold Cup and I hurt my ankle against Cameroon. And um, that was an amazing moment for me because it's tough to make it into those tournaments when there's a World Cup right around the corner. And, um, you know, it was good when I when I made it at that point, because there was enough time, there was lead time before the next World Cup where you, know, you were going to make it into a few more camps. There wasn't a lot of pressure and you could you could really shine as a young player and get your opportunities. That That's what we should be embracing right now. And, and I was re- I mean, Paraguay is no pushover. And that was a pretty good team that they brought. Um, let me just let me just quickly go to the guys that I was impressed with. And I, th- I thought really made a statement. Uh, Will Trapp just continues to be a solid player. I mean, I I was fortunate enough to play with Claudio Reyna, who I I still think is one of the best U.S. players we've ever ever produced. I mean, I think he's top five for me, and having played with him, he just had a... He had an ease. He had a he had a spatial awareness, a control on the ball, an ability to dribble out of tight spaces, to pick a pass, uh, vision, tempo. He had it all. Um, You know, Pablo Mastroeni was more steel. I mean, he, he... he was a different player because I mean he could really and I remember that Portugal game in 2002. I mean he he showed what he's capable of in terms of the physicality of the mm-hmm. game, but also was really good on the ball himself. Uh, Chris Armas, I love to play with. He, I actually got to play with him in that that game I, I was talking about against Cameroon at the Confederations Cup. Um, Will Trap has some of these similar qualities. You know he's not big, he's not fast, he's calm, he's composed, he plays quick, he's tidy. Um, you know, he's got a decent range of passing. Uh, I love what Greg Berhalter has done with him, what, what Greg Berhalter has turned him into, which is a player that can drop into a back three and split the center backs to build out of the back, knows when to do that, when to drop into the midfield. Um, so I, I was, again, impressed with Will Trapp, who wore, who wore the armband, which is a great that. honor. Uh, that was interesting to me, considering you have, you know, DeAndre Yedlin, who's the most experienced player on that team. And yeah, and Wood and other guys that yeah. have been yeah been in there. A and lot they more went with Trap as the captain. I think that speaks volume. And mm-hmm. I never really heard him speak, but after the game, he was interviewed. And he seems you know wiser beyond his years. Yeah, he's a smart kid, and um, I'm just I, I'm 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 happy to see his progress. Um, two other players that I really really liked and, and had good games. Um, Tyler Adams, I, I just I love this kid, and I and I've seen him play. You know, watch him play with the Red Bulls, but I've seen him play a few times now, um, where he he just offers a, a a pace and a range that's excellent, and it, and it's unclear where he really is going to fit in with the U.S. team because he's used on the flank sometimes the Red Bull, sometimes he's a number six, sometimes he's a number eight. Um, you know, he's very versatile, and you kind of worry about versatile players at this point because. They become utility players. They're used in a lot of different roles. I want to see him developed as if you're playing a three in the midfield, which we, essentially we did. I mean, there, there was traps sitting, holding a little bit, and it was Delgado and and um, and Adams just a little bit ahead, and Adams was just a little bit ahead to the left. I, I really love that role for him, the freedom to, to bomb forward as he did when he drew the penalty on the ball from Delgado. Um, covers a lot of ground so he can close passing lanes when we're not in possession. He can help with a press to get behind the, you know, the, the, the strikers to, to push teams and, and harry them so they create turnovers. I mean, he's got a lot to his game, and I want to see him develop that way. Um, someone, I think, more prepared for that role and, and has been brought along to be good in that role who I was impressed with is Delgado. I mean, I, I just, I really, really like him. And I think the trouble with that game is it lacked some creativity i think that that's kind of the i don't know it's i feel like it's a constant criticism of of the u.s we never really developed traditional number 10s and and a traditional number 10 has kind of gone away that that that's not really available and it's not a part of any schemes that the teams put out i mean you you look at manchester city as the most attacking minded team in the world they play new two number 10s but as number eights essentially that are kind of this double pivot ahead of a holding player um I just like I just like that midfield because I've always been a big fan of Lee Wynn and Benny Failheiber and Sasha Kleschen and Torres. And, and these players have never been able to hold down spots 
in a U.S. team because we, we tend to, to fall back into a, you know, a Jermaine Jones or, or and, and, I like, and I like these players, and a, a Kyle Beckerman, um, you know, and, and Michael Bradley has always been a, a staple in the center of the park. But I just, I want to benefit from having players that have the freedom to be a bit more and to take risks. And right now with young players with, with nothing to play for in terms of nothing really of high risk and of big stakes on, on the immediate horizon, let these guys go make mistakes. Like, let them kind of learn the international space where, the, of course, the pressure's high. You're playing and representing the U.S. Um, but I, I just, I liked what they were trying. I, I saw a lot of breaking through the passing lanes of Paraguay, playing dangerous balls into the middle. I saw a really good transition that tended to break to break down up front. Wood had a bad game, and um, and the first half was bad for CF. C- Kenny, let's just call him Kenny. Kenneth, um, but, and and Nagby is I just love Nagby. I don't I don't want to get into it. I just love him. But um, I, I I was optimistic after that game. How did you feel after that game? It, it's a weird game to watch as a fan because. By the way, I realized we didn't we didn't start the timer. Oh no, the timer's gone. Oh, you got it? Do you right there? Oh, we got one more minute. We got thirty seven seconds left. Okay, we can we can crush it. Um, I wanted to ask you, because as a fan, I don't really know what to expect from this. And also, I don't really know what does the Federation expect from... A, yeah, bigger a, question. What are they looking for here? Or yeah. is it just to get these young players a couple reps against some international competition? Yeah, here's what I worry, and I'm definitely blowing through the 15 seconds that we have left. Um, so this should be the beginning of a long project, right? So the, there were a lot of players that you would have liked to have seen that now that there's no World Cup coming are, are out of the U.S. national team picture. You know, guys like Clint Dempsey, I love Clint. Clint has been an incredible player, one of the best players to ever put on the U.S. shirt. Not to mention a player I, I really love watching and a guy that I really enjoyed playing with. Um, you know, his U.S. national team days, uh, even though he'll play more, a few more games, they'll want to get that goal tally up for him. That's it for him, right? So, Sergeant and Wood, I mean, you have to really start thinking about developing what's next because we've relied on Clint, a lot, I think, a lot longer than many expected us to rely on Clint. We've relied on Michael Bradley a lot longer than people expected to rely on Michael Bradley. Now, w- with with um, with that being earned, I mean, both of those guys were still performing at a really high level. So what I want to see now is the technical idea, the philosophy and the vision for this team moving forward. Okay, you have a, a crop of a bunch of young players that are scattered all over the world that are playing uh, regularly, most of them, for their teams. Some of them breaking into bigger teams and waiting for their opportunities. What are we going to do? What, what is this? Where does this lead? What's the, what's the plan? And so that brings you to Dave Sarakin's not going to be the coach. Um, you know, and I love Dave Sarakin. He's a great guy. He's a great assistant coach. But... I mean, the two substitution thing, yeah, we, we joke about that. But there, there, are many, there are many things that you can see in his short time holding the reins that he's just not a head coach. And he knows that. And most of that coaching staff know that they're probably going to be moved on and, and a new staff is going to come in. Now, that job falls to a person that's not there yet. So this GM position, they've created a GM position for the men and for the women. And um, one thing in the, in the failure to qualify for the World Cup and Russia on the men's side was an opportunity to have a phoenix from the flames, an opportunity to learn from our mistakes a la, you know, France when they failed to qualify um, for two World Cups in a row and then one in 98 and what Italy are going to do right now and what Germany did when they didn't fail to qualify or drop out, just dropped out of a tournament, the Euros early and in the middle uh, the early 2000s created this whole new project with uh, the, the DFB and you know, the billions of dollars investment in youth and all. So that's what we're expecting, right? We're expecting a new era. We're expecting to to change. The problem is this election didn't change much. So um, Carlos Cordero has won. And, and basically the only thing that changed after we failed to qualify for a World Cup, Bruce stepped down, which you expected him to after the World Cup anyway, but stepped down. And, and Sunil Gulati said he's not going to run. And the vice president got a promotion. I mean, that's really all that's changed. This GM thing... It's still an idea. It's not an execution yet. And the problem is the committee that's there interviewing GMs, um, it's Dan Flynn. It's uh, guys that remind most people, people he's, he's the CEO. Yeah, right? CEO of U.S. Soccer. Um, Ryan Mooney, one of the one of the 
I mean, it's hard to understand who he is and what he does. I mean, it's it's amazing. Most people in the soccer world don't even know some of these names. Um, you know, it, it's it's Carlos Bocanegra, um, who you know I wrote about in my Sports Illustrated article. I'm I'm I, I'm he and I have a tough relationship now because of how he 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 uh, he conducted himself throughout the election as a board member and athletes council uh, representative, but was was not very open to the idea of me being president of U.S. Soccer and didn't make any uh, any secret of that. But um, you know, he he he's on the committee, and I think Angela Hughes is on the committee. It's just it's people that have been in U.S. Soccer, right? Um, and people who have made bad decisions in the past that are now overseeing the process without Carlos Cordero, who's not involved in this process and shouldn't be because he doesn't have the qualifications to, to identify who this person is. It's the same people that have made a lot of the errors in the past that are going to be involved in trying to pick the person that now helps structure the national team moving forward. But here's the problem. They're interviewing uh, candidates, and I, and I won't say some of the names, but some of the names of the candidates are the right people, which is good. It's good to know that they're looking at some of the right people. But the majority of the candidates they've looked at have said, there's no way I'm going to take this job because um, the, the role isn't defined very well. And, and I, I said this during the campaign and said this um, right when U.S. soccer announced these GM positions. It's the right idea. I mean, really what we need is a technical director, and this is kind of their way of, of bringing that in. Um, this is the right idea to have someone technically overseeing U.S. soccer. Uh, they have it um, as a much narrow, the, the scope of the position for them is much narrower. It, it's, you look at the U.S. national team men for, on the GM side for the men, and for the women, that GM just looks at the U.S. national team with very little input or control over any of the other national teams or the, or the youth program that fuels mm. and is the pipeline into the first team. So basically what it feels like to these candidates is they're just scapegoats, right? So they're just bringing them in. And if all you can do is control the national team, then you are going to take the criticism for and and your job will be in jeopardy for failures that are outside of your control. So you're going to receive players that you didn't pick or train or help show the way to prepare themselves for the first team. You didn't pick the coaches that will that will you know, train the players that you're getting ready to inherit. You're not involved in some of the most crucial aspects of building a first team. And this works for the national team or the club. You would never have a club where the the first team coach has zero control or knowledge of any of the reserve team, the under 21s and the, and you know, the under 18s, under 16s, you would never have that situation. So it's just obtuse and it's and it's a bit naive for these GM positions to be defined the way they are. And that's one of the reasons they're struggling to hire someone. So what needs to happen is with this great crop of young players, they need to hire GMs for the men and for the women. They need to give them more control, more authority and and have a a wider scope of what that position positions responsibilities are. Give it more authority because right now this person or these people will report to, to Dan Flynn, the CEO of U.S. soccer. I mean. Dan Flynn, one of the one of the issues with U.S. Soccer is in the past, Dan Flynn and Sunil Gulati have, as a pair, made technical decisions that neither are qualified to make. So we're kind of back where we started. We're just creating a position and hiring people that the optics of it is a change, but what people are worried about is it isn't at all. So there's a great crop of players. There's a there's a big runway towards the next qualification for a World Cup. Hire a GM. Hire someone qualified to then now hire a head coach that can deliver a vision that can give you a process for developing these not only these players and preparing them for the next major competition, but creating a system and a culture that continues to cultivate talent that understand what it means to play for the U.S., that understand what that identity is, what that culture is, what the expectations are, because that's one of the things that that died that we saw collapse in Trinidad and Tobago. And Claudio Reyna put it perfectly after that failure. He said, we're arrogant and, and we have to learn uh, from our mistakes. We have to admit where we're, on, where we're wrong, where we're weak. And we don't do that in many ways, either with our professional league or our national team. Um, here's, an, here's an opportunity for us to put someone in place that understands, acknowledges that. And, and then we just, 
and then we just grow. I mean, are we going to make mistakes? Are we going to fall down? Of course. But I really want to see them hire someone that understands that and has the authority to execute. I mean, that, that's, what, that's why you ran. That's why I ran. That's why I ran. And, and um, you know, from the outside, uh, I, I've, I've agreed to, and I said that in my Sports Illustrated article, um, to chair the national board of a nonprofit called Street Soccer USA. And what's great is, is if U.S. soccer shirk their responsibilities or fail in that regard, there are many great organizations outside of the federation uh, that can, that can um, supplement and, and strategize and at least begin the groundwork for what should eventually be adopted by the federation. And all of us can work hard to fuel this team, even if we're not a part of the federation. So I, I guess all in all, I, I'm, I'm skeptical of some of the changes necessary to capitalize on a great young crop of players, but that's the good part. Mm. There's a great young group that's going to be fun to watch. And I'm just, I'm hoping that there's an environment for them to thrive in. And we hear soon an announcement on a, on a GM position. So uh, a head coach can be hired. I'll put, and just for the listeners, I'll put a link to that uh, SI article in the show notes. Oh, great. So people can listen to that. Uh, and before we move on to our next topic, just circle back. I just want to give our interim head coach a little bit more credit. He did make four subs. Oh, he made four subs. Why did I say two? He made, he made two late ones. He brought on... Um, oh, that, that was... Um, he brought on uh, Roldan. Roldan. Yeah. Uh, and the 90th you know, in stoppage yeah, time. Well, yeah, and then yeah. he made another... I meant so we can actually, like, see, see right. these kids play. So Timothy Wea came in in the 86th minute. He yeah, was touched the, the third ball. sub. Yeah, he got fouled right away and touched yeah. the ball a couple times. But I, I meant, like, at halftime, right. you Your point is you have, like six subs subs. The, you have six subs to work with in these international friendlies. Let's yeah, play around we, with them. We don't have to win that game. No. You know? So anyway, I don't know. I just wanted to see... I, I just wanted to protect you so that thank the you. Twitterverse didn't come after you. Oh, no, you. they're coming after me regardless of what I say. Um, all right, so let's move on to England. Um, that performance against Italy, I liked it. I just liked it. I mean, they were they were in a bit of a three-five-two with Sterling up top with Vardy. Um, you know, uh, what's so interesting about about England is um, recently in tournaments, and I know they're never satisfied, and they're so self-critical, and they're all over their team and and their star players. I saw a lot of positives, even though they've dropped out of some of the major competitions early recently. I saw some of the positives that have come from some of the great coaches to come to the Premier League, right? So I remember watching England recently, and not, not, not this time in this current um, incarnation, but, but last World Cup, last Euros, and thinking, I can see the benefit of having Pochettino in the Premier League showing up in the national team, right? I was, I was watching guys... Um, you know, whether it be like Lalana um, from his Southampton days or whether it be um, now Dyer and watching uh, um, Deli Alley and, and Harry Kane. I mean, there, there were so many great qualities of the England team that had Pochettino's fingerprints all over it. Now, now what fingerprints did we see in this last game against Italy? is Pep Guardiola's. So, I mean, how incredible. I know a lot of people are super critical of the fact that young players don't get a lot of opportunities in the Premier League. Um, I just don't really buy that, that, that argument all that much. I mean, if you're not good enough to get your opportunities in the Premier League, um, you are going to have to drop down like a guy, Tom Ince, right? Tom Ince and his father, Paul Ince, famous, famous player for England, uh, had an opportunity to go to AC Milan, had an opportunity to go to big clubs, and he chose to go to a smaller team, chose to go to Hull, and now he's back up with um, with Huddersfield. He said, no, I need to play regularly, so I'm going to go down to the championship, even though it feels like it's a knock on your pride, and play regularly. So young English players that can't make the first team for the Premier League go either to the lower league or they go to Vitesse, where Miazga has left Chelsea to go for an American player having to deal with that. And a lot of young players end up end up getting their experience that way but i look at sterling and deli alley and harry kane and um lingard and um and even john stones i know he gets a lot of criticism and, and made a huge mistake at the beginning of the italy game but th- these are players that are are benefiting from being in a league with continental quote-unquote managers right. that have come in to show them you know, the great quote is Pep Guardiola said after a game that they struggled last season, I don't train for tackles. You know, he was pissed off at the direct style and the physical nature of the English game. I don't train for tackles. So, um, you know, the British press wanted him to change and adapt the, the, uh, adopt the, the old sort of British 
you know, be physical, you know, get into a tackle every now and then be direct style that English soccer has, has succeeded in in the past, which is sometimes unfair. I mean, there's definitely been teams that are much more than that. I mean, when Gascoigne was playing for them, it wasn't a direct physical team all the time. Um, but na- now you're seeing what England can be capable of when you don't train for tackles, you know, when you don't take as much pride in that physical aspect of the game and you have players week in and week out that are playing around players from different countries, but also with managers that have that different approach. And Southgate... I love that Southgate, instead of trying to to throw everything back into an old English template, is 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 trying to find a way to to maintain that momentum that these players are taking from their club teams. And um, you know, like Kyle Walker, for instance, playing as a as a right side in the three center back position. Now, typically, he's playing right right back for Pep Guardiola and a, Guardiola and a back four and playing inverted. But it's taught him and showed him the qualities of being able to be a great back three center back. And, and he showed it that game. He was excellent. And then that opens up a space for Trippier, who Pochettino has been developing really well to get into the side. And so it's just I, I really enjoyed watching some of the aspects of England as they evolve and try to live up to unrealistic, unrealistic expectations that their fan base have. That they, you know, that they can go into the latter stages of every tournament. Which, by the way, they always say we're going to drop out, we stink, we're terrible. But that's what they believe, British fans. I mean, English fans think, no, no. I mean, secretly, like when no one's around, we can win this tournament. And that's why they're so annoyed, right, when they get knocked out. And that's why they're so upset. But I just, I see a, I see a pretty bright team. Now, Harry Kane's ankle is a big issue. I mean, Vardy, Vardy looked good. I mean, he looked good. It's a great finish. Yeah, looked really good. And Sterling playing... Almost as a, as a, a strike partner for him, most of the game looks strong. That'll be a big test of Sterling because one of the reasons he's really thriving under Pep Guardiola and playing so well in the Premier League is is um, positional discipline. I mean, he's played off that right side with chalk on his boots, so right. much positional discipline. So freeing him up to play a striker role, you may see a relapse into old bad habits. But I thought I thought he was. He was really good. He, it seemed like he had a lot of freedom to get or move around the pitch in behind Vardy, and it was nice to to watch him um, have that kind of relaxed uh, tac- tac- tactical uh, asking. Whereas, yeah. like you said, you know, him and Sané, they have very specific roles on City. Oh, yeah. They'll, um, they'll get pulled at halftime if they're not yeah. if they're not staying in the right position. Question for you, yeah. and I think a lot of people, and I know we talk about this a lot in the studio with the Robbies and Rebecca, is who's going to be in goal for them? Yeah. Um, I think Butlin. I think Jack Butlin's the best of the bunch. I think it's between he and Pickford, really. So definitely no Joe Hart. No, God, no. I mean, I'm amazed Joe Hart's going to go. Right? It seems that, that Nick Pope, who's who's come on the scene a bit late, so, you know, he doesn't have the experience. And listen, you never get to your third-string goalie in a, in a World Cup anyway. But um, you maybe you just think Joe Hart, big game, big experience, you know, he'll, he'll be able to step up if called upon. Um, but I, I just see the confidence has completely left him. There was there was a play last game for West Ham, um, and forget the goals that he's conceded recently. That, that's that's not ultimately my concern because West Ham are shambles right now. But um, there was a ball played into the box, just pretty, pretty benign, normal ball. He got an early look at it. It was played into the box. Any goalkeeper would have just easily caught it. It wasn't in a crowd, and he went and punched it with one hand. So not only was like the technique a bit off, but it was it just showed a serious lack of confidence, and um, you know that that's what I worry about with Joe Hart. I mean, the other ones you, you think about as, as Southgate determines who gets on that plane is you know Jack Wilshere is kind of the same thing. Like Jack Wilshere's looked really good recently for Arsenal, and I love Jack Wilshere. He shouldn't have gone to the last World Cup. I think Danny Drinkwater should have gone instead. Um, you know, Drinkwater was performing at a higher level than. Uh, than Wilshire and Wilshire hadn't played in forever. Um, so I thought that was a shame. You're talking about or, Euros, 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 yeah. Um, but, but at least with, with Wilshire, you see conf- he still has confidence. Yeah. He just doesn't have confidence in his body. He just, he just doesn't know if he can make it. And in a World Cup, you can't count on a guy like that. If you're, if you're thinking of him as a starter to, to deal with a tournament where the recovery is so short. Um, but, I mean... It's just who who the, who does that drop out is the big question, and I think the problem with taking Wilshire is it drops out someone that deserves to be there. I mean, Henderson and Dyer are probably the holders that you have. Wilshire is going to be thought of in that more advanced position, so we're talking about 
now you're talking about Deli Alley, you're talking about Lingard, you're talking about Lalana, you're talking about Oxlade Chamberlain, Chamberlain, who yeah. I think deserves to go over over Wilshire. So that that's going to be a tough decision. I don't think Wilshire is going to go. Um, but I mean, it's a good side. All eyes are going to be on Harry Kane, though. Everyone's going to be wondering. It's kind of like before every tournament with these poor English fans. You know, it was David Beckham at one point, then it was Wayne Rooney, yeah. and now it's Harry Kane. Southgate said in an interview, um, he doesn't seem too far off. But it's the, I mean, when it's ligaments and it's the same ankle, he keeps hurting. Yeah, it's, it's, a, like it's, it's that right foot, too. It's ripe for another, oh, just, another injury. I worry a bit. Should we? I, I think we should. Oh, the VAR. We got to touch on that. Yeah. So I saw you. I saw you retweeted something that. Yeah. Shearer so um, said. Alan Shearer and, and Gary Lineker were saying something. I mean, fans. God bless them. I mean, they're just sometimes they're, they're, they just can't help themselves but make the most ridiculous, ignorant conversation um, arguments. So VAR wasn't brought in. The idea of VAR is not okay. Now everything's going to be a hundred percent accurate. The the reason it's there is because referees with a, a game that's getting faster. But technology also at the same time is improving. The stakes are high, and to miss calls you shouldn't miss when you can take one glance at a replay in HD and see that you got it wrong. We shouldn't let these referees hang out there, right? We should help them with technology. But you're only supposed to overturn something that's clear and obvious, okay? That penalty was not clear and obvious. So forget that was it a penalty, wasn't it a penalty. I don't think it was a penalty, right? Just because he got his foot stomped on after he completely lost control of the right. ball and tra- and tried to cut it and cut it into his plant foot and it and it went away from him and a, and a split second later someone stamps, steps on a foot that doesn't mean that's a penalty so I don't think that's a penalty but forget if it was a penalty or not and that's what Lineker and, and Alan Shearer were saying the technology is there to overturn something that was obviously a mistake that was clearly the wrong call that was not clearly the wrong call it was not clearly the wrong call to let that play. And that's the thing that we can't lose is um, when you slow something down, and you know this because we said this last last show when we talked about VAR, you work, you're heading up our edit team, and our edit team's incredible, and you guys get all these looks, and you send this, these things. How many times in the studio do we have to look at it 15 times? Like we look at it over and over Sometimes and over again. Sometimes we're not sure. And then eventually come to, come to a decision where we're like, you know what, I, I actually do think that's a handball. But that's not what VAR is there for, right? VAR is there for when you show us a replay and we look at it and we go, oh, God, how did he miss that? Right. Right? So that we're, it's not being used the right way. It's just there that we can protect against something that should have been seen. It should have been called. And that penalty, when you, when you stop it and roll it back and pause it, you lose what your instinct was. And more often than not, a referee's instinct is right. Like, instinct in a live play is that doesn't seem like a foul to me. When you go back and watch it and you see, and the people do these ridiculous freeze frames, stop with your freeze frames. Do not freeze anything and say, that's a foul. Yeah. No, that's it, the most ridiculous thing work. to ever do. Look it at this. Work. What are you talking about? That's not a foul. Look at this freezed picture that is completely out of context in terms of this entire movement. Nothing is seen in freeze frame. So you lose with VAR sometimes your natural instinct, which can be right, based on the flow of the play, the movement, and all of these things that you're able to calculate that you lose once you go to a screen and replay that. Because VAR, essentially, it's not there to re-referee. Okay, so if it starts slowing things down, if it starts getting calls like that right for some people, and, they, and that's their validation that VAR works, it, no, that's not what VAR is there for. VAR is only there to, to fix something if it was clearly and obviously. These words are there in the description of how it's supposed to be used. Clearly and ob- obviously an error, right? So let's unpack that for one second. Meaning there can be an error. You as a referee can make an error. Right. And that's part of the game. The human part of the game that I don't want to lose, which I think is fun to debate. Was that, was that right? Was that wrong? There's so many subjective parts of the game. That, that, that has to live and breathe on. You can't fix that. You can't eradicate that. And, and I don't think we should try to. You can make an error as a referee. VAR is not there to get rid of errors. It's there to get rid of clear and obvious errors. And here's the problem. That's, this is the last international window before the World Cup oh, when VAR is going to be implemented. Uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be a disaster. I mean, so, someone's, someone's just going to lose their mind and, they, and, and they're not going to ever be able to watch the game again because they think it was a penalty. And VAR said, yeah, it is a penalty. And the rest of us said it wasn't clear and obvious. 
We're good. Someone's yeah. going to get knocked out of the World Cup because of it. And it's going to defeat what it was there. And it's going to lead to a lot of post-game discussion, which for me as a fan is sort of like, let's talk about what actually happened. Yeah. But any yeah. event. Okay. Anyway, so talking about World Cups, let's talk about one way off. Uh, 2026. Bids are in. There are two bids. Morocco and the United bid. So the United 2026 bid is Canada, U.S., and Mexico. The tribe bid a great idea to, to link together uh, our neighbors because the United States did, did spearhead this. Um, and as the favorite in North America, would there be three bids? Uh, it made sense to, for, for myriad reasons, to, to join everything. And I love it. It's a great idea. Um, are there issues with the bid? Of course, um, you know, one of the things I did during my presidential campaign on the last day during the election was stand there in front of the people that put this bid together and criticize them for some of the aspects of the bid. So I've done that. I've been there. I've done that. I won't do that now. Um, but I put out a tweet the other day, PM, and said, you know, we, we must get this World Cup. I mean, I remember 94 and, and what, what an incredible moment that was. I remember going to Giant Stadium to watch Italy play and I got to see Roberto Baggio, one of my heroes in, in the flesh. Um, I remember still, it sits with me, what that did for us and what that did for this country and how much it, it moved things forward a little bit at a time where I really don't think we were all that much ready for it, right? I mean, soccer's been in this country forever. Uh, but, but you know, brand new professional league was coming and, you know, there was kind of this dead space of the game existing and, and don't, dis, don't discredit that, don't discount that. That's absolutely important. And Major League Soccer benefited from that in a big way. And even teams that are coming into the league now benefit from the fact that the history has been there for a long time. But we are so much m further down the road and so much more ready and excited and set up to have this be a seminal moment for the, for the game in this country and, and put it on a trajectory that can grow the game exponentially. I mean, in a way that, that, that is, is so far and above what would happen if we failed to get this, this 2026 bid. So I put out this thing saying, man, we got to get this. It could be incredible. And, and, and saying all these things, I, I was shocked at, at, at the, the level of criticism that some people have for this, for this bid. And, and I'll read a couple of the, the, the tweets afterwards. Um, one person said, how self-serving. There needs to be an, a national commitment to the game before you claim some kind of moral high ground. Um, not sure what the moral high ground uh, is. I mean, we still have the most successful World Cup of all time, and it was in 1994, and that was only 24 teams. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it can't it can't you be on a moral high ground? I, I'm not really sure what he means there, but like, what do you mean commitment to the game? Of course, there's a commitment to the game here. I mean, is the game exactly what you want it to be? Do you want promotion relegation? You know, do you, do you want this? Do you want that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I want an open system. I want promotion relegation. Um, you know, I want U.S. Soccer Federation to be run a different way. You know, I wish it was the number one sport. Yeah, like, yeah, do, do we want more? But, but commitment? Of course we have a commitment to the game here. I mean, it's such, such a ridiculous comment. And then uh, you know, I, I could read these all day long, but I, I, won't, I won't go through them. And, and you know, there were a couple of good writers that I respect that came on and, and, and were critical of me. And it seemed I was trying really hard to understand what their position was because a lot of people were coming in hot after me. And basically, um, in a binary discussion, I'm saying, man, I really want this World Cup. I think we need to get it. And, and they're saying with how critical they were of me, no, we don't want this World Cup. We shouldn't get it. Now, I've tried really hard to understand what their position is, and I, and I guess I'll distill it down to they, they look at that FIFA as, a, as an evil, you know, it's kind of like in Mr. Robot, their, their um, evil corp, right? <laughs> yeah. the, the, they, they can't look at it any other way than think these guys, man, these guys are, are they're so bad that we shouldn't be a part of anything they want to uh, do. And um, there's like this anhedonia of like I, they just can't they can't enjoy anything like literally just can't enjoy that unless it happens in, an, in a perfect ideal sense for them. So what they're saying is the, the labor issues of yes, there, there have been some terrible labor issues. I mean, we're looking at what's happening in Qatar with lives being lost because of the working conditions or these stadiums that are that are built and millions of 
of uh, of tax dollars and government funding that should be put towards something else. And I think Brazil is a perfect example of this that should be used for infrastructure and education and and, uh, you know, cleaning the water supply and the poverty situation, wealth disparity and and um, health and wellness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, building these huge stadiums that end up being left and end up being these giant tombstones on the horizon that that mark a tournament long past. Yeah, I mean, that, that stuff's awful. And, and I totally agree. And the last two World Cups dealt with that. Yeah. South Africa and then Brazil. A- absolutely. And, and some of the demands that FIFA make about the, 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 the funds that they get, the tax dollars that, that local organizations aren't able to get, the, the pressure it puts on low-income communities, like all of this stuff, yes, absolutely agree. If that's your major gripe, though, um, if, if your issue is th- this can cripple countries that need to focus on other things, we're, we're the one country out there that, that isn't affected to any to any level close to how it has affected these other countries. So we have the infrastructure to have the tournament tomorrow. We do not need to build new stadiums. We do not need to go and, and extend and do a lot of the things that make hosting a World Cup very detrimental for certain countries. So you're just completely ignoring the fact that we mitigate a lot of those risks, right? And, and don't forget, it's the first expanded World Cup. It's going to be 48 teams. So if countries are having a hard time hosting a World Cup under the current situation, then all the more reason that if that's what bothers you, if it bothers you how it cripples countries and, and, and low-income communities struggle, well, first, you have to acknowledge how that doesn't happen in our country like the, with the precedent that you're using. But also, you have to acknowledge that, okay, if we host it, that means another country that's not qualified or capable, doesn't have the technical abilities we have or the infrastructure we have, won't host it and it won't cripple them, right? So one positive you could say, not, not the biggest point, but I, I use this because this is where they went. This seemed to be their major gripe. And I kept saying, well, if that's what you care about, first, you have to acknowledge that's not as much an issue in our country. And secondly, you have to acknowledge that um, it's going to be hosted regardless, whether we host it or someone else hosts it, it's going to happen. 2026 World Cup is going to happen. And in order for half of the world to enjoy watching that incredible tournament, the best tournament on the planet, someone has to host it. So if we host it, we mitigate a lot of the things you care about, right, um, and, and keep it from happening in another country that shouldn't be hosting something that could be that detrimental. But if, if you're not willing to concede there, then you just don't care about other countries, Right? I mean, you just you, you don't you don't care. You only care what the World Cup could do to us. You don't care what I mean, it's a bit xenophobic to say, well, I don't care what it does to these other countries that it would actually be very detrimental for them to host it. I just don't think we should host it because FIFA's evil. Right. So I, I just don't really understand how anyone who's a fan of this game could 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 root against our bid, could not want the World Cup to come here. I mean, it's just I, it's uh, it's obtuse, and it's just kind of like this hipster argument, I feel like, that like Green Day fans had when Green Day was this indie band playing CBGB, and when they left and sold albums and played MSG, they're like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to go to those concerts anymore. And it kind of, it's, it's, it does reek of that, like, you know, cool soccer fan thing where it's almost their soccer fandom is earned and more authentic, and, and if someone wants the World Cup, then, then that just proves that they're not they're they're not an authentic soccer fan that understands what's you know what's important about this game. I just like, you know, it is an authentic. I just um, don't co- get it. Soccer fan country, Mexico. They're part of this bid. They haven't had it since when was it like eighty six? Well, they had two right in a row because of the issues where they hosted one right away. So eighty six was the incredible Maradona, Maradona, yeah, the hand hand of God and the incredible goal against so, England. I'd love to give the Mexican fans. Well, they, of course they want it. Yeah. They, they desperately want it. And they deserve it. They should have it. Canada can't host it on its own. Great stadiums up there. It's great in the summertime. Wonderful environment to host the World Cup. I mean, 70% of Americans never leave the country, right? So, so, so 70% of Americans will never, ever enjoy this incredible event, one of the greatest events on the planet. I easily, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit biased, but... No other, no other event do half a billion people, or sorry, not half a billion, half, half of the country 
or God, I don't know, now let me try one more time, half of the world. I mean, close, close to four billion people will watch a World Cup. And there's nothing else on the planet mm. like that. And, and if you say, no, never in our country, then you're basically saying that 70% of our country um, never have a chance, never have a shot to ever see a World Cup live. And it's just like, for what? Okay, for what is they think FIFA should reform, right? They think that they shouldn't demand as much from the hosting uh, countries. Well, here's the problem. If you like entertainment, someone's got to make money, right? That's just kind of how it works. And by the way, if you like products, someone's got to make money. So I know you're upset with the way they've gone about it in the past, the corruption. Yes, absolutely. Our Department of Justice led a charge to try and, and reform that, led to arrest, led to, to set bladder being kicked out of that seat. Um, I, I, you're, you're upset about labor laws. You're absolutely right. You're upset about how it impacts and harms low-income com- communities. You're absolutely right. But one thing I hear them also say is there's, it's opaque. There's no transparency to the bid process. So if that's, if that's true, then you're speculating on a lot of these things, right? You're speculating that a lot of these things haven't improved with a new president, Infantino, right? They've already reformed the way the bid process works. It used to be the 24 Exco members that voted on this, which is why it was so easy to bribe them. You only had to get to two dozen people, give them some cash in a bag, a couple watches, a nice trip, and all this stuff. And it's been proved that that worked in the past to get a World Cup. Now it's 200 or so members that, that are going to be voting on this. They've even gone as far as to try to keep members from being able to publicly say who they're endorsing or talk about that, uh, which was reversed recently. And they said, okay, you can talk about whether you're supporting a bid on its technical qualities, but only on, on the merit-based without influencing others. I mean, they are trying to reform. Are they where they need to be, FIFA? No. But here's the thing. If we get the World Cup in 2026, um, it will be the most successful World Cup ever, um, beating 1994. I mean, 1994 still most tickets sold, most revenue, and this is almost two times the teams and three continents, or not three continents, three countries on one continent. I mean, it's going to be enormous. Having that, e- having that enormous carrot and financial windfall for FIFA, which they desperately need because they're hemorrhaging money right now, having that on the horizon gives us a lot of leverage. It, it, it makes us a partner with FIFA where we can continue to put pressure on them to reform in the ways that you want, and we get a World Cup. I don't understand why it's mutually exclusive. How could you not want a World Cup? If your argument is, I want a World Cup, but I want these things to happen, yeah, I do too. But, but the bid's in already. The, the bid's there. So, so help me understand. You don't want the World Cup or you do, because a lot of these people bitching on Twitter, it makes it seem like they don't want the World Cup. And if that's the case, don't let anyone catch you in a stadium when we get the 2026 bid, <laughs> because, man, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to screenshot some of these tweets if someone catches you in a stadium when you said, no, never in our country. I would know. I mean, come on, be realistic. It will, it will absolutely bring this game to another level. The windfall that U.S. soccer will see. Now, again, one of the criticism people say, well, yeah, if U.S. soccer gets a lot of money from this World Cup, which they will, they'll get an enormous amount of money from this World Cup. What are they going to do with it? Well, yeah, that's one of the reasons I ran for U.S. soccer is, is because we have people that aren't spending the money the right way. In 2026, you don't know who's going to be the president of U.S. soccer, and you don't know what U.S. soccer is going to look like. So, again, another thing that you can get the World Cup. Let's all just agree. Let's start with that. Let's start with that. Get the World Cup. Then we all can sit here and talk about what FIFA needs to look like, how cities can, can, can uh, be better supported through this process. Now, they'll say, well, no, the bid's in and the demand's already there. Come on. I mean, how, 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 you know what? We also just saw um, Fox and other organizations put pressure on FIFA to allow them to get a World Cup that no one bid on. <laughs> right? So, yeah, I mean, I mean, come on, give me a break. Why? Because they were already World Cup rights holders. And they didn't want to face the pressure or possible litigation of putting a World Cup in the, in the, uh, in the winner in Qatar. Right. This is all because the, yeah. the so 2022 World Cup is going to be the winner. We have precedent that yeah. FIFA changes after you win the bid. Wake up. Wake up. Getting the bid is the best possible thing that can happen for soccer in this country and also can be an impetus for not only change within U.S. soccer, which we need to fix before we get critical of and think we can change FIFA, we need to fix U.S. soccer because it's opaque, it's Byzantine, it's, a lot of the decision-making is by people that shouldn't be making those decisions. And so a lot of that needs to happen before you become hypercritical of FIFA. FIFA's already changed in, in a lot of ways. Um, 
getting the World Cup puts us in a much better position, puts us in a driver's seat to try and push reform while ensuring that we can host the greatest tournament on the planet in 2026. Lead time like that, we can guarantee dollars today, real dollars, a total force multiplier with an idea of an tournament that we already have, that we have contractually happening in 2026 grassroots movements and and municipal projects and sponsorship that can fund some of these things all of that can immediately take place and the bids happening this summer so so this summer they're going to vote on it and after that we can get to work on all the things that you care about but not if you're sitting there in your echo chamber saying i don't want a world cup because if that's all your position is no never here kyle i can't believe you would say that you want the world cup then you've got to go into a shell when we get the World Cup and not come out until 2027. Or you could join the rest of us and want a World Cup because of how great it will be for soccer in this country. And then once we get it, use it as fuel to fight for better conditions in terms of hosting a World Cup and a better U.S. Soccer Federation, a better FIFA, and grow a game in this country. I, I just, I, I mean, I should, I should never bite. And I typically don't bite on these Twitter arguments. But that one, I was, I was incredulous. I just couldn't believe that there could be uh, such a... And you know what's amazing is a lot of the people that I sat there and argued with for a while, uh, at the end of their argument, they said, no, 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 World Cup, hosting a World Cup would be great. Well, oh, what? What? Yeah, of course it would be great. That's, that's, that was my whole tweet. That's the whole point. Yeah, it'd be great. I'm glad we arrived at this uh, agreement here. Yeah. Um, I mean, I... Mean, I, 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 I I honestly, I f- it's like throwing a tennis ball off the wall and it bounced back and hitting you in the face. I was like, wait, you, 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 this whole time, you seemed like y- you were no World Cup, no way. No, no, you want the World Cup? Okay, so you want the World Cup and you want these things? Me too. Great. So, and, and by the way, the bid's already in. Right. And the, just to remind the viewers, the bid's in. The only other bid is Morocco. Yeah. Uh, FIFA is going to be very dramatic with this. I just looked this up. The announcement will be on the eve of the World Cup. Wow. In Moscow. So so we'll know when the ball kicks off in Moscow whether wild. we'll be hosting 2026 or not. Which, by the way, gives you an entire World Cup of meeting with a lot of the rights holders and the sponsors and the money men and all of these things. It gives you a soccer federation, which is probably one reason they do it. That entire tournament, either to use the rights that Fox already has or the meetings that are going to take place to begin the discussions on on how to improve, for sure, but how to grow the game here, which is a priority for uh, not only FIFA, but Premier League and La Liga and Bundesliga, all these, all these enterprises, all these companies that, by the way, need to make money, and a lot of them have similar issues where it's not ideal. I mean, listen... If you really want to get dramatic, stop using Amazon and, and don't use your, your, your Apple products and, and don't buy gas and don't put your money in a bank because all of it's tied into a lot of the things that you can't stand and are standing on a, on a soapbox complaining about. So instead, let's push for ideal circumstances, but understand that this is incredible. And I don't need to use hyperbole or, or be dramatic, but what's happening in Qatar is, is, is awful. Right? I mean, people are losing their lives building these stadiums. If we were hosting the World Cup instead of them, we would be, I mean, literally saving lives. And, like, you don't even need to go that far to point out how ridiculous it is to be anti-World Cup 2026. Sorry, I had to, there I had you to, go. Go, I had to go off a little bit. But, oh. I mean, that being said, I, what we need to understand, um, and, 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 you know, two, two of the guys I, like, I, got into it with i didn't get into it with with um with heavy but um zito who's um hold on let me look let me look real quick at, at his uh twitter handle because you guys can i mean he's a he's a terrific writer he's at underscore zeets z-e-e-t-s writes recipe nation i mean he brought up great points he's an excellent writer and i've just started following him recently um and what's good is you know we had a really uh, like good discourse you know, he disagreed with me on things. I disagreed with him on things. But, like, we have to be able to get back to disagreeing again. You know what I mean? Like, uh, that that's one of the things I loved. I mean, some people said some stuff on there where it's just like, all right, block. I mean, come on. You, you, you have to at least do a, a bit of thinking before you start typing. Um, but, like, I, I really enjoyed 
Um, God, I forgot. Well, hold on. I'm looking f- through um, the other person I, I got into. I got into it with who who also is a great writer, and I love I love his stuff. Um, we went back and forth a few times. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Ryan Rosenblatt. So at Ryan Rosenblatt, who also is a great writer, who writes for Fox Sports, SB Nation, Eurosport. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I I do appreciate that both those guys we got into just some good discourse, which like you know. It's okay. We should we should all be able to disagree, but you know, only if um, only if your opinion is not, we shouldn't host the World Cup ever. Then just unfollow me. Delete uh, your account. Yeah, just delete. Yeah, delete your account. <laughs> Go do something else. <laughs> all right, Dad, pals. I mean, you got some thoughts on it. Hit me up at Kyle Martino. Um, Premier League is back. I'm so glad it's back. We got some good games coming up. We also have some good Champions League coming up. We also Manchester have some fun City, at- Liverpool. I can't wait for that. We have some fun announcements this weekend. We do? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we, we do. do. Just keep that on the DL, yeah. but it'll be fun. We got, sorry, guys, we can't tell you. We know someone that likes you, but we can't tell you. Yeah. Just, um, wait. Just wait. We'll tell you next There's week. some exciting some exciting stuff coming down. But, yeah, th- I mean, Manchester City, they win the next two games. They win the title. What? Against Manchester United. Yep. Pep Cordial is the goat. Don't at me. And stand your feet. <laughs>